Good morning. Today's word from the scripture is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to speak and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. For they, oops, I've lost my place. <laughs> Let me go back. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Betsy, for reading our scripture lesson. And um, also I noticed that um, we have some flowers up here, and I think those flowers were a very special occasion for a very special girl. Her 18th birthday, and I honor Caitlin. Hey, Caitlin. Happy birthday. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to kill you after this. <laughs> we celebrate the joys of life together. And uh, as we hear God's word, let us ask for God's Holy Spirit to help us to seek its meaning for our life. Would you pause in a moment of prayer with me? Oh, come, Holy Spirit, in this place to open our minds now. Open our hearts that you may fill us and speak to us through the power of your word. I ask you, God, that you might use me as your vessel and speak those words that are your words to your people, that all of us together may be made new and shaped and encouraged and renewed in our faith to go forward as your people. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently ran across, ran across a Gallup poll. I mean, I get these things in my email all the time, especially dealing with church stuff. <clears throat> you get sent that kind of stuff all the time. But uh, this one had a very interesting statistic in it that um, made me start thinking about our ministry here together as a church. This is what it says. It says only 13% of Americans can said to, to have a faith that permeates all aspects of their lives and affects how they behave. Only 13%. Now, I don't know if that surprises you, but uh, it, it caught my attention. Because our purpose together here as a church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of this world. And that statistic seems to indicate that maybe we're not doing such a good job at that. Now, of course, it is my hope that uh, among our congregation here, we, uh, we have a, a large percentage that is a part of that 13% who uh, have a heart for God, who are, are passionate about serving God, who are allowing their faith to permeate every aspect of their lives. But if you're wondering, how do you gain a faith like that? If you wouldn't really know what a faith like that looks like, then you have to look at the words of Jesus and his teachings. And that's exactly what we're going to try to do over the next several weeks together. We're going to be examining what Jesus has to say about how, what our Christian life is supposed to look like 
when it's fully integrated uh, throughout all aspects of our lives. And to do that, we're going to be looking at Jesus' most important and most influential sermon, his Sermon on the Mount. Now, if any of you have ever read or studied Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know that this is a hard collection of sayings. I mean, uh, the, the Christian life and the Christian faith is all about grace, and it's filled with a lot of grace. But in this particular sermon, Jesus seems to be uh, making the Christian life almost unattainable. Very hard. Uh, to set this whole thing up, uh, we have this picture of Jesus going up on a mountain. Now, you're meant, <clears throat> when you read that, to imagine in your mind, it's, it's meant to have that recall of Moses going up on the mountain. That's what the people in Jesus' day would have thought about this. Uh, uh, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to receive the law from uh, God to bring to his people. Well, here you have Jesus going up on a mountain to reinterpret Moses' law. You see, the people in that day were very familiar. They knew what Moses' law was all about. The Torah was, they studied it from the time they were little bitty. They knew all about, you shall not do this and you shall do this. And Jesus says, wait a minute, you misunderstand the intent of the law. It's not meant to just be about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. It's meant to be a matter of what's in your heart. That's what God is really looking for. So Jesus reinterprets the law of Moses to them, and he actually makes it, what most people would say, much harder to follow. It was simple, you know, black and white with Moses, but Jesus complicates this now. He says, you have heard it said of old that you should not commit murder. But Jesus says, I tell you that if you hate your brother or if you speak angrily against your sister, you have violated this commandment. My goodness, who here has not violated the commandment if that's the way you're to interpret it? And Jesus says, you have heard of old, it was said that you should not commit adultery. But Jesus says, if you so much as look at another person with lust in your heart, uh, you have violated the intent and the spirit of this commandment. Again, uh, who here has not violated that commandment? I don't look so smug and pious. You know, we, we all have, right? Yeah, we've all violated this. Uh, so Jesus goes on to say, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. My goodness. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were meticulous about following every letter of the law. And our righteousness is supposed to exceed theirs. Jesus says, you are to be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. That I cannot fathom anybody in this room, including myself, fully and completely following what he teaches in this sermon perfectly. So how are we to understand Jesus' words here? Well, some people say that this is just an ethic that Jesus had that was unattainable. It's just something Jesus had as a raise the bar way up there that you, we would, nobody could ever do this. But it's kind of that ideal of life that we should try, strive for. Martin Luther said that's actually the point of this entire sermon. He says the point of the Sermon on the Mount is to drive us to a place where we say, I have to have a Savior because I can't do this on my own. And I think he's right. I think this sermon does point us to our need for Jesus. But if we simply dismiss all these teachings as, as, as that, of being something that's you know, too high for us to attain, nobody could do this, um, I think we're missing the point of what Jesus is saying here. I think Jesus meant for us to take these teachings very seriously. Because I think Jesus is casting a vision of what the Christian life is supposed to look like in the kingdom of God that begins here on earth. 
the role of a good leader is to cast a vision. And you were, you're hopeful that uh, you would motivate people, inspire people to pursue that vision. And so the really great visions are things that are kind of out there. Um, they're, they're, they're beyond our reach, and um, yet you realize you're probably never going to achieve them, and yet you're so motivated and so inspired by that vision that you devote your life leaning toward it and striving to become more like that. In our church, we have a vision for our ministry together. It's part of our mission statement. In fact, I'm going to encourage you to look at this. You can read it together with me this morning. Let's say this together. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And so we have this great vision of what our ministry should be together. It is a vision of creating a genuine Christian community here that is passionate about making deeply committed disciples of Jesus Christ. We, we have this vision where we should be actively engaging the needs around us and reaching out to people who are hurting with the compassion of Christ, transforming this world around us. And we're doing this out of the motivation of serving and returning our love back to the God who has served us. Now, do you think there's ever going to come a day when we will say to ourselves, all right, we're finished with that. That's done. Let's move on to something else. You think we'll ever get to that point? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, you see, the great thing about this vision is that it's, it's always kind of way out there. It's always out there. We testing? We good? Okay. This vision is always out there for us. It's, will we ever attain it? <laughs> Probably not on this side of eternity. But we're always leaning toward it. We're always striving toward it, looking for that day when it will be um, attained in the future. That day when it will be so within the kingdom of God. I think this understanding of what the Sermon of the Mount was really all about is something that... Um, we apply to the text that we have today before us. The Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes, those blessed are you statements that I think we're all familiar with. And uh, the word blessed in Latin means, it actually is translated as beatitude or beatus, which means uh, happiness. It means uh, to be happy. It means to be blessed, to be fulfilled in life and uh, fortunate. It is a state of life that is fulfilled, is content, you're abundant, you're, you're blessed. You know, isn't that something we all long for, we strive for in our lives, is to be that blessed life? Well, in these Beatitudes, Jesus says these are the keys for finding the blessed life, how you're to be happy, fulfilled, and content. But Jesus' picture of happiness is quite different than what the world would teach us. In fact, Jesus' uh, picture of where happiness comes from is often in direct contrast, directly opposite of how the world teaches us about where happiness is found. The great teacher and preacher, uh, David Buttrick, says, The Beatitudes are a picture of the great reversal. I mean, the world has one set of values. But in the Beatitudes, we see how these values of the world are turned up on their heads, upside down. And so you may wonder... How can anybody be blessed? 
by living in the way that Jesus is teaching us to live, when you're living in the midst of a world with just an opposite set of values. But what you need to know about the Beatitudes is that the blessedness that we receive today is based on a future promise. These Beatitudes talk about a a future fulfillment that enables us to be blessed in the midst of our current circumstances. Jesus doesn't say, if you live this way, then you will be blessed only in the future kingdom of heaven. He says you're going to be blessed now because of what God will do in the future. It is when you have faith in the promises of God that you're enabled to have a blessedness in the presence. For example, all of us go through difficult times in life. All of us have those moments when things don't go right, uh, crises that happen to us. And uh, God didn't promise you that when you become a Christian, you're not going to have anything bad happen in your life anymore. Often quite the contrary. Uh, But the Bible does promise us two things. First of all, it promises us that God is going to be with us through whatever we face in this world. That we are never alone. I will always be with you. I will never forsake you. I'm always going to be there to walk you through, to carry you, to uh, support you, to be your comfort, your rock, your redeemer, your salvation. I will be there for you no matter what, no matter what you face. The second thing he promises us is that life is not always going to be this way like it is today. Ultimately, in the end, those who mourn will be comforted. Those who are pure in heart will see God. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. That's a future promise that affects our present reality. When you're grieving, mourning over the loss of a loved one, uh, you find God's comfort not because he takes away your present pain, but because the comfort comes in knowing what's going to happen in the future. I know that my loved one is with God. I know that they are receiving that place that Jesus has prepared for them and they're experiencing a glory that I can only imagine. Uh, They're experiencing the the presence of God and all the fullness, a new spiritual body, no more suffering, no more pain. We we have that promise. And I know that there's going to be a day when I will see them again. Trusting in that promise brings me comfort in the midst of what I'm going through and grief. When we are persecuted, when we're put down for the sake of following Jesus Christ, we can find the ability to rejoice in the midst of that because we know what the future holds for us. And when we hold on to that assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, as Hebrews describes faith, that's when we find that blessedness in life. And I think this was what Jesus was trying to convey to the people that he spoke to when he delivered this Sermon on the Mount. I think it's important that you recognize the kind of people or who it was that Jesus was actually speaking these words to. You find this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. I'll read it for you. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. These are the kind of people that Jesus is talking about. When Jesus saw these crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. So Jesus is talking about the people who are the lowest of society, 
those who were broken. These are people who were going through sickness, uh, depression. They were going through pain and suffering and, and oppression by the Romans. Jesus looked at these people and he said, I know that your life is really hard right now. But if you could only see what God sees, you'd realize how blessed you are. Because life is not always going to be this way. I'm here to tell you, Jesus says, that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, he says, for they will inherit the earth. Now, those two Beatitudes really are talking about something very similar. When we often think of meekness, our first thought is weakness. But the word literally is translated as gentleness. Someone described this as velvet-covered steel. It has a strong resolve. It has a gentleness about it. Doesn't that describe Jesus, the way he lived? But what does Jesus mean when he talks about the poor in spirit? It's a wonderful little book out there by uh, Johannes Metz uh, called Poverty of Spirit, in which he describes uh, what it means to be, have this uh, poverty of spirit. And he actually claims that, that um, this is a characteristic out of all the other characteristics we can have. This is the most important in God's eyes for us. He says, the poor in spirit are those who accept that they are spiritually destitute apart from God. They have emptied themselves of all pretense and pride. They don't think that God is lucky to have them as followers, but rather how fortunate are we to have God call us his children. And we recognize that this spirit of humility, of being poor in spirit, is so important to the Christian life. I mean, you remember how Jesus said the first shall be last in my kingdom. He, he talked about how if you're going to be great in my kingdom, you're going to be a servant of others. So we know that humility is, is, is so critically important to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, and yet we also recognize how difficult this is to actually practice in a world that values status and success and power as ours does. And we also recognize that the more successful we become in this world, the easier it is for us to lose that spirit of humility. That's why Jesus says you're not going to find happiness when you're looking down your nose at other people. You're not going to find happiness and fulfillment in life when you're um, looking at others and treating others as though you're better than them. Jesus actually told a parable about this one time to those who were living that way. You find it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, where he says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves and they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven rather beat his breast, he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who would seek to exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. I think this is what Jesus was talking about when he talked about being poor in spirit. In the next beatitude, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I think of all the Beatitudes, this one is the one that people say speaks to them the most. Blessed 
for those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, when you read the Psalms, you will often see how they cry out to God. They just pour their heart out to God in laments. Why is this happening to me, O God? How could you allow this to happen to me? Why won't you deliver me from this? I love reading the Psalms because they're, they're real. They express how we often feel. But they always end with this affirmation. They always end saying, yet, O God, I will trust in you. I will trust in your unfailing love for me. I would trust that you will carry me through this, and therefore I have hope. I think part of the purpose of the Beatitudes is this very thing, that even though our present circumstances may be difficult, we trust, we find hope in the fact that we have a God who loves us, who will never leave us. His unfailing love. We we trust in the promise that those who mourn will be comforted. Ultimately, we trust in that vision that we find in the book of Revelation, which says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. This is what Jesus promises us. So when we suffer and we uh, go through difficult times, we place our trust in God's unfailing promises. And in that we find hope. In that we find the blessed life that God's trying to give to us. And then Jesus moves on. He says, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the pure in heart. I really think these two uh, Beatitudes sort of go together here. And I think for us today, when we read those words, blessed are the righteous, blessed are the pure in heart, they they sound to us today probably more Victorian or or antiquated, if you will. I mean, uh, that's because they go so against uh, the grain of what is taught by our society and by our culture today. Happiness is to be found in being righteous. Happiness is to be found in living a pure and a holy life. (laughs) No way. Happiness is to be found in doing what makes you feel good. It's getting all the things that you can acquire that make you happy, right? I mean, the world would teach us that if you just buy more stuff, if you buy more things that you want, if you could just live in that place or live in that kind of house, if you could have that kind of job, if you could have that kind of spouse, uh, then you'd be happy, you know? Jesus says if that's the path you follow in life, you're going to find yourself empty over and over again. Blessedness, Jesus says, is found in doing the will of God. Happiness is a byproduct of living a righteous life. Many times in our society, we're taught that it's okay to cut corners, to um, compromise our values, as long as it makes us happy. But Jesus says that's not the path to happiness. A life without integrity is really no life at all. That's why he says, blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, for they will be filled. Then the fifth and seventh Beatitudes, I think, go together as well. Blessed are the merciful and blessed are the peacemaker. And again, this is so contrary to the way that we typically live or the values that we see in the society. I mean, in our society, our natural tendency is if somebody wrongs us, we want to get even, right? 
If somebody pulls out in front of you in traffic, you want to lay on the horn, you want to find a way to get even with them. If somebody hurts you, you want to hurt them back. That's our natural tendency. Listen, the reality of life is we're going to have people who are going to wrong us. There's evil in this world. There's crazy folks in this world. There's not a day that's going to go by that you're probably not going to get slighted, cut, hurt, offended in some way. We're all going to experience injustices in this life. That's reality. As Christians, we have to decide how we're going to respond to that when it happens. Are we going to live by that eye for an eye, life of retribution, always seeking to get even all the time? Think about that. Do you really want to live in a world like that? I love how Mahatma Gandhi uh, said, in a world where an eye for an eye prevails, in the end, we all go blind. Jesus says blessedness and happiness are not found in that kind of life with those attitudes. He says, blessed the merciful and the peacemakers, for they will receive mercy and they will be called children of God. Next week, we're going to be looking at this more in detail as we talk about Jesus' uh, uh, teachings on forgiveness. But I think his words here today are very important to us. As he teaches us, it is the offering of mercy that you find blessedness in life. Finally, Jesus tries to prepare his disciples for the fact that if you follow the life in the way that I'm teaching you to live, you're going to have people who are going to shun you, get against you, and even worse, persecute you. And I think that's the case in our world today still. I think it's probably going to become and is becoming more increasingly the case. For you young people who, if you set your goal to try to live the kind of life that Jesus wants you to live, if you try to follow these teachings, you're going to have friends that maybe leave you. You're going to have uh, those who turn against you. You're going to have, uh, you're not going to get invited to some of the parties that go on. Uh, um, you might have people hurt. I mean, that's going to hurt when you try to live for Christ. For those in the workplace, if you are trying to do the right thing instead of the self-serving thing, what's best for the company or for yourself, you might lose your job or you might lose that promotion. Jesus says when those things happen, uh, when you pay a price for following me, when you stand up for God in this world, great is your reward. And blessed are you in God's eyes. I find it really interesting. When you read the book of Acts, you see how the early Christians were persecuted, they were imprisoned, they were beaten, and yet you read how they rejoiced in the fact that they were worthy to suffer for Christ. I mean, what kind of people rejoice in, after being beaten and being imprisoned except those who are trusting in the future promises of God? Those who find a blessedness by placing their trust in God. You know, when I look back over my life, you know, I can't remember who was voted homecoming queen in my high school or who was a captain of the football team or voted most successful to succeed. I don't remember too many of the people who served prestigious positions in the community as I was growing up. The people that I remember in my past that had the greatest impact upon my life were those who were willing to stand up for what is right when everybody else was headed the other way. Those people impacted me. And that's how I think Jesus is calling us to live, as beatitude people who are more concerned about what God thinks about us than what everybody else thinks. So the world offers us one set of values to live by. The world says if you are self-confident and proud, 
if you uh, are free from suffering, you do everything you can to stay away from that. If you achieve uh, positions of power and, and uh, over others, if you are trying to uh, not be uh, letting your conscience get in the way of your life, you just go with what you need to do. If you try to get even, you settle the score with people. If you live for yourself, you pursue um, your own interests in life. If you are trying to gain the approval of others, then you will find blessing in life. You'll be blessed and happy. Jesus says there's only one problem with that. It doesn't work that way. And the eternal consequences can be kind of devastating. So he says there's a better way. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what is right. Blessed are those who are the peacemakers and those who are persecuted for my sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The question we have to answer today for ourselves is which way of life are we going to choose to follow? My hope is that we would be part of that 13% who's seeking to do more than just talk about our faith, but to actually strive to live it on a day-to-day basis. Because that's where we find the blessed life. I invite you to pray with me as we consider that. Lord, we confess to you that when we read these Beatitudes, we realize that we have all fallen short of them over and over again. Too many times, God, we've become proud inside, not poor in spirit. We confess, oh God, that we have, we've had a hunger and a thirst for other things rather than your righteousness. And we've been willing to, to sacrifice almost anything for what we thought would make us happy. God, we confess to you that we've been so afraid what other people think about us. We've been afraid to stand up and be counted as, as yours. Forgive us for this, O oh God. We pray that by your Holy Spirit you would shape our hearts to be the kind of, of people that would seek to please you above all else. Help us to be a congregation, to be among those who long to be committed and loving followers of you. Lord God, we ask all of these things and all of these mercies in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.